The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey everybody, welcome to the winemakers. I'm John Myers. I've got Sam Katuri sitting here with me. How's it going, John? I've got Kyle Harristy. Thanks for having me back. And Bart Hansen. Hello, all. And Mr. Brian Casey. How you doing, John? I'm doing great today, man. I'm about to be even better. Uh-oh. We're about to get into some good red wines. And we're also going to talk about one of my favorite, favorite subjects, and that would be the cannab- cannabis industry. <laughs> because it, yes. <laughs> it, yeah, you been. Uh, no, seriously, um, it, it has, and I am taking... <laughs> I've got two magazines in front of me, Valley of the Moon at uh, Stanley Mouse in the Summer of Love, and uh, that is their feature article, yep, and yep. All, all about cannabis in there and what's going on with, with uh, from Cabernet to Cannabis with Mike Benziger. Uh, if Mike Benziger and Eric Pearson, bioweed, biodynamically grown, four hundred acre former turkey farm in Sonoma Valley will soon become a national model for the biodynamic cultivation of cannabis and a focal point for scientific research on the impact of terroir on the individual characteristics of pot plants. There you go. And also, it's the real deal. I've got the Bohemian with Sonoma's herb. Heritage, you know, we don't have a um, we don't have much here in town, and we never have. It's a very conservative town. Mm. Um, well, <laughs> well, okay. Um, There's a strong but, chuckle across the Sonoma yeah, crowd. Might want to look beyond your fence. For for instance, well, I don't have well, to. Well, legally, I smell. I mean, you know, at certain times of year, I mean, the guy over here is just insane. If I had any sunlight on this property. You know, look, you're sitting under oaks out there, 400-year-old oaks, and seven trees and, you know, redwoods in the back. There's not a damn bit of light. What do you do in your garage? He parks his car. I I park one car. That's how you know he's not from Sonoma, (laughs) is he parks his car in his garage. There's a car. There's a Mercedes. I actually poked my head in there. There's, like, an old Mercedes that you could, like, holding on to in there. Yeah. See, that's where where a normal Sonoman would have their... Yeah, well, if you decided to park it in the street, you might be able to buy three Mercedes. (laughs) You see, um, the way I see it, the price is going down. I've never had to pay for anything that i've had i've had good friends say here tell me what you think yeah i think you know the right people and i do (laughs) well you know it's it's that's what happens when you work at the radio station yeah and um so anyway it's interesting you know we're gonna do two uh you brought a kutch today 2014 and you know these folks right Uh, jamie kutch is uh yeah i really like him as a winemaker and as a person he used to come him and um joanna um, his assistant now, winemaker Joanna from Model Farm from she, Model Farm she's the one her. who yeah. stomps the grapes herself and oh I remember uh, we had on the yeah. uh, on the KSVY show yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. so that's Jamie's assistant they're just super sweet 75 people. bucks a bottle she she trims it 
and and takes care of the canopy. They did and her and her husband everything. at the time. Fiance did all the vineyard management. Yeah. Did all I mean did all the picking. Very they cool. did everything from A to Z and to bottling, labeling, the whole thing. Um, selling, se- yeah. selling as yeah. well. Yeah. I was then the first one it. to buy a case for uh, the girl in the fig. Yeah, um, but Jamie and Jamie and Joanna came to the Fairmont the other day. I think they sat at the pool bar for a few, if not more, hours um, and left me a bottle of this. So I thought it'd be fun to open up. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. So thanks for opening it. It's, Believe uh, me, it's beautiful. Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. <laughs> <laughs> Pinot Noir. Yes, it is. It's yeah. a Sonoma Coast. I think that's all he does is Pinot Noir, and then Joanna does a Syrah. Okay. Uh, but, I, uh, for her only. I sell Cabernet so I can buy Pinot. This is my favorite varietal. Kyle's a Pinot head. Kyle and I frequently go to head-to-head over whether it's going to be a Pinot night or a Syrah night in the neighborhood. Well, it's I inter- frequently win. It's interesting. <laughs> you know, um, usually open cab. <laughs> you know, this, this whole thing about the difference and the similarities between growing great grapes and growing great pot really started out, uh, oh, the coverage was... Uh, Eric Asimov's article in right. the New York Times right. about Phil Katuri and how for years he has been tuning in his, you know, his, his growing of, of really great weed. Uh, I never knew that there was that much to it until I saw it being done, until I saw it being done incorrectly. Somebody said, oh, man, I've got white spider mites day before harvest. Well, I'm going to spray it's like, well, yeah, you know, I'm not going to smoke any of that, man. <clears throat> you know, that's, that's just the worst thing you could possibly do. But the article about Phil was, New York Times, you can't get any bigger than that. You know, the, the thing that's going to be interesting and what I care about and what Phil cares about and what will develop over the next five to ten years in California is uh, a cannabis industry that looks like the wine industry. And and that's okay, that there will be bulk producers, there'll be people who grow it in places where it's cheap and easy, and you can grow a lot, and Cent- it might Central, not necessarily Central taste Valley. the best. And then we'll find who and where uh, you can grow the, the best pot, in the same way that we've found who and where you can grow the best wine. Well, when Mike Benziger is tossing his name into it, I mean, that, that's a big thing. It's a, it's a big deal. Look, yeah. I have a lawyer who emails frequently. I'm on his email chain about different things happening in the cannabis industry. And he closed an email the other day and he said, "On all of this doesn't really matter. And we're sort of concluding his discussion on where things are right now. Because on January 1st, 2018, the entire world turns upside down again. And, and <laughs> meaning the cannabis world. And yeah. that's, you know, when all of a sudden... It is a, a legal product in the sixth largest economy in the world. Fifth. Um, fifth now? Yep. Okay. Past the, Great Britain. The fifth largest economy. Thank you, Brexit. Uh, the fifth largest <laughs> economy in the world. Uh, it's going to have international ramifications. And just like California has in the wine industry, because because of that economic power, yeah, we're, Jeff we're Sessions, changing the economic Jeff the Sessions wine world. still we'll wants to put you in jail. <laughs> well, that was Jeff my Sessions question. Is, I mean, even on... Even on January 1st, it's going to have to be a cash-only business, correct? Well, yes and no. Um, what's happening in the, the the credit unions are getting in, into it. Um, and in Colorado, uh, 
the industry has come together and created their own credit unions. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to happen, and Jeff Sessions being the Attorney General doesn't help things. For how much longer? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, considering um, what's going on but right now. There's an article I read this morning in my old hometown paper, the Reno Gazette Journal, about uh, Elko, Nevada, as true blue, you know, true red, you know, state as it can come, Elko, Nevada. Uh, and they talked. There was a guy that they interviewed wearing his "Make America Great" hat, talking about how cannabis helped his life and allowed him to come back to normal society after being uh, a, a soldier, after you know coming back from war. And he's a he's yeah. a miner. He works in the gold mines in, in Elko. And he's a pothead, and he's a Trump head. You know, if you want to find one issue, maybe we can take two issues in the world that unify people in America. They love wine and they love weed. And if you want to go after either of those, uh, that's a good way to, you know, erode your base. So, uh, as much as, as much as we worry about Jeff Sessions, as you know, my dad is on the cover of the Bohemian and in the pages of the New York Times. Um, you know, I, I think the direction things are going. It's it's the way that it's we're we're on the right the Sam. right the right path. Yep. Yeah. yep. It is unstoppable. I'll get off the pots up. Yeah. You know, well, well, you, you know, you can't. You 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 yeah. really have to continue because it's going to continue and it's, it's growing. We're we're, we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, <laughs> that was shitty. Bad pun. <laughs> Very punishing. Sorry. Kyle, Jesus Thanks, Kyle. Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. So, um, but the interesting thing is. Wait until everything is not boxed wine. Wait until everything is not well. Right. And I've had boxed Bordeaux that was pretty damn good in Bordeaux. You know, it was just there, right. and we had to have it. it. Was the only thing we had that night, so we so we drank it. But you know, and and it's interesting um, from a medical point of view. It's just getting huge. I mean, it's it's better for you than. Nine tenths of of the pills that people are 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 certainly taking. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing. Um, you know, we haven't done real medical research in cannabis in the United States because it's been against the law. But that's all changing, and you know what people have known for years is now starting to be proven. Um, you know, scientifically the, about these medical benefits. But, you know, to, to swing it back to wine in the same way, and Kyle, you know, Bart, you guys all run into this, that the the value on wine is the provenance. The more you know about, you know, about it, the story behind it, where it was grown, how it was made, what the winemaker was doing, the more, theoretically, the more that you could be able to sell that, that bottle for. Um, and in, in, a, in a prohibition world, you can't do that with pot. But that's the that's what's going to change come January first. Is you know weed with provenance will have uh, a leg up against you know something grown in a warehouse somewhere that doesn't have any meaning behind it, no right. story behind it. Right. So what? So Sam, if you're saying so, I go into a dispensary January one, and they're going to have te- you know twenty thirty different selections. Um, they already do. They already do. So it's going to be. But, but I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to know. I know the guy who grows this one. Or I know that I know this specific strain, so that's going to be the more desirable. Thus, they'll be able to charge more money for that particular. The so right now at Spark, which is the the dispensary in the city that Mike Benziger is working with, they have 
Mike Benziger grown biodynamic buds on the oh. shelf. Or they, they might be out of it, but they did after last harvest. Right. And it was the most expensive single bag of weed, you know, that you could buy at the store. Um, right. and, and that's what's going to put the value come, back And come January it. 1st, I expect there to be a lot more of that. You know? Do you think that there will ever be a, a like an AVA, American Viticultural Area? It's, no, it's totally happening. Oh, oh yeah. So it's cool. already. It's totally happening. So American, American, American Canicultural Areas. Yeah. I want yeah. that Moon Mountain. ACA. Good, good. Dude, I, I, um, look at... I want to do a Moon Mountain Cup. I want to do... I, I know. I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody who I know grows up there, and I said, "Look, I know I could name five people right now that I know are growing pot in the Moon Mountain district." And he goes, "Well, if you name five, I could tell you ten others, and there's probably another fifteen. <laughs> sure. um, well, and I that would a be a you know. Then we can talk about. Look, this is ten, fifteen people who grow pot in the same little little mountain range. Let's talk about that. Let's well, see what it's like. Regarding no that terroir, isn't the soil?" Completely foreign to the dirt that is from the ground, which is what makes an AVA well, most specific? No, I mean, that's depends on how you grow. So a lot of people grow in pots or grow bags above ground. And with imported dirt. With imported dirt. Um, and, but, you know, the stuff that my dad grows and it, people that he's, you know... Mike Benziger's to, not. They're putting it in the soil. I mean, you can yeah. add things yeah. to the soil. My dad puts, you know, in his little, you know, 30 by 50 garden puts uh, like two tons of compost a year out there and a giant cover crop every year and tills it all in. So, I mean, that soil is not all native soil, but it's been built up with the native soil, um, you know, just like he does in the vineyard, you know. That's what I was going to yeah. say, just like in the vineyard. I mean, you're, 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 and you're growing in the ground, so um, there is other influences right. as opposed to in a bag where it's closed off to everything. Do you think that the, the a, let's call it ACA, American Cannabis Area, would restrict the amount of uh, additions you could do to the soil? You know, um, if I was writing the rules, yeah, that's how I would write the rules. Um, but, you know, I think that what any of this is going to have to, you know, you're going to have to trade on your process. So if your process is grow bags and soil that you're bringing from, you know, McPhail's, um, then that should be what you talk about. And if your process is adding two tons of compost to a big pile of rocks, uh, then you talk about it. And just the same way that, um, you know, when you say you have the Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir and you can talk about that soil... Um, that's just it's part of the the conversation, and that's where they meet. It's the transfer. Right it's the there, transfer that's transfer. where they meet. I can dig it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple glasses of Pinot Noir and Kyle is. Yeah, I, I didn't realize Kyle was such a pun master. <laughs> just it was started. very punishing. One <laughs> uh, um, to the pun attention. Bringing it back to wine for a minute. I'm about to pour some of this Harrisy wine here, and Kyle, if you would tell me what it is, because I my eyes are not uh, <laughs> sure. It's um, well, my father he owns um, Harrisy Family Cellars. I would like to think that um, you know this is. Part of my heritage as well, but unfortunately, nice I, I love my I love my father too much right now to, to work with him. And what <laughs> it's a good idea. Yeah, man. what we have here is his Amador County 2015 Zinfandel Harris the Family Cellars, and we've touched on bargain, I think, and and um, different 
you know, value-driven products, whether that is weed in a warehouse or wine in the Central Valley. And my father's wine, I think, completely over exceeds its value. This is a wine that is by the glass at restaurants throughout America. It is about 30,000 case production, and it is you know, $9 a glass. Um, this is very, we, we call it a workhorse wine for a restaurant. I think that BTG by the glass at a, at a restaurant is where most restaurants are making their money in the wine industry with, with wine. Oh, they like to sell it like that. That's for yeah. damn sure. And, and this is one that pairs well with, you know, of course, you know, barbecued ribs, but I think the, the best way to do it <laughs> right now is on air with, uh, Four buddies. There you go. Well, it's tasting really good. So I take some ribs though, if anybody's offering. <laughs> you yes, know sir. the the best rib place I've found is over in Napa, <clears throat> in that in the where Whole Foods and Trader Joe's is and Target, way at the back. It's called Q, and they have the best baby backs I've had in California. That's it. Well, then I'll have to make mine for you. Okay. I, well, I you know, pretty I, damn good myself. Mine were in Chicago, and I haven't touched my old Weber since I have moved to California. Wow. So that's it. And you cannot do ribs on a gas grill. You can't do it. I, I just want to say one thing about Kyle's dad. When I started in the wine business in the mid-'80s, and I worked at Kenwood Winery with a bunch of guys that had been in the industry for a while, there was a story about the original Sonoma Valley kind of cellar rats, and it was always... Val was always one of them, whether sure. it was at St. Jean or at Kenwood or at Benziger. at Benziger or even before that at Buena Vista, right, sure, yeah. in, in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. And so the history there, uh, not just uh, Kyle's entire family, uh, but going back to his dad is uh, very deep in Sonoma Valley. Yeah, well, my dad actually is responsible for bringing my family back into the wine industry. We like to say that we are seventh generation winemakers, but mm, there was a gap there. Um, and I give my dad all the credit for bringing us back to the roots. And um, we we just, you know, love living the good life in Sonoma, smoking good weed and drinking good wine. <laughs> That's why we live here, I think. So, no, and I like this. I like the savory notes on this. Like, it's got a little um, sweetness to it, but then it's got a lot of savory characteristics yeah. to it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the great thing about Zinfandel. I think it, it um, and I think that Sam would probably agree with this, is it's kind of the spice rack of wine. You can have a Zinfandel like this one that has real lush, rich fruit, but also that smoky component that comes from the oak. And then you can have super peppery Zinfandel that has bright acidity, and they just come in a million different flavors. And um, it it's not, honestly, it's not my favorite varietal, but at a... At, this level and the highest level, it's it's very quaffable. I work with so many Zen makers because we do a lot with Zap. Sure. And, um, you know, I've tasted some real good ones, and I've tasted some real bad ones. Oh, yeah. And you get out in the field. We were at a Zap event. Um, God, this was three years ago, I guess. It was 106 degrees. <laughs> we were up at Sagacio, and we were ser seriously drinking Warm, zen, 105 degrees, whatever, in the field, and it was a bad experience. That was it. I mean, you don't want to do that. You know, chill it down. Do something. So, Bart, you had a comment. I was just going to say, you know, whenever we go to tastings, I'm sure you guys can all attest to this, and the building's hot, there's nothing wrong with throwing your red wine on ice for a little bit, you know. 
Well, Harry Karras only drinks his Grenache out of the fridge. Now, Harry Karras is, uh, if you want to read, and it's hard to find. I actually have a stack of them in the tasting room, but he wrote the, sort of the definitive book on Chateauneuf, and it's a it's coffee table book. Oh, yeah, you do. But, but and it, it's amazing maps and photographs and every producer, every grapevine in Chateauneuf. He's, he's essentially, you know, one of the world's great... Uh, I say this with all love. I love Harry. He's a Grenache fanboy and, you know, loves Grenache, loves everything about Grenache, can tell you all the Grenache producers in the world. But he comes to your house and you bring a bottle of Grenache home and he puts it in the fridge for half an hour before he, op- before he opens it. And he likes, he likes to have his red wine a little bit chilled. So there's definitely, you know, this is, you know, uh, not a certified expert, but somebody that you'd consider an expert in, in a varietal and... Uh, there's there's definitely no shame in um, you know red wine should be in the, the 60s. Well, cellar you know. temperature 55 right. degrees, and if it's room temperature, it's only gonna get warmer. And I, I feel like a, a, a high end wine should be in a wine cellar, and when you open it, it should come right out of the wine cellar, which shouldn't be warmer than 60 degrees. And then the other thing is is that. With you know recent winemaking styles, alcohols are higher, and when the wine, the temperature of the wine is higher, the alcohol is more prevalent and it shows itself more. So if you think you don't like the wine because it's hot, um, just chilling down a little bit takes that away, or not even chilling it down, but just not serving it too warm. Well, it's easier to let it warm up than chill it down. Also, you know, so it'll always it'll always warm in the glass. I mean, if. And if, so I guess the flip side of that is if you get a wine in your glass that seems too cold or is cold and muted and you're not getting, you know, just like a glass of brandy, there's no, there's nothing wrong with, you know, put wrapping your hands around it and, you know, holding it tightly until it uh, gives, what, <laughs> gives you what oh, you're looking wrap for. Wrap your hands around <laughs> me, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so you said he, you guys are doing 30,000 cases of this? Total production across the board. He has a uh, Amador, of course, then Lodi, a, and a few um, exciting new wines. Um, one is a vineyard-designated wine from Indian cool. Springs, which is a very historic vineyard um, run by the legendary... George. McLeod. George McLeod, the guy is a god in in vineyard farming, and um, and then he also has two other wines. It's under his Baratage label, and it's um, again more by the glass placements, um, wholesale, you know, mostly on premise accounts by the glass, and that's red blends and then a Sauvignon Blanc. There's more and more coming out of Lodi and Amador. Yeah, and one thing to touch on um, for temperature wise, I think that. Oftentimes, white wines are just far too cold. You know, uh, a a yeah. really really special white right wine. Right out of the fridge. A special white wine shouldn't really be more than or less than cellar temperature. I I don't think. I think you know, you get a Grand Cru Chardonnay, you're going to lose a lot of the nuances if it is um, below forty degrees. I I personally yeah, I like that with Chardonnay and uh, Marsan and Roussan. I like to let them let them warm up a little bit more than I think people traditionally like to do mm-hmm. them. Instead of leaving them on ice, you just uh, even if people say, what I do sometimes with those wines is I don't. People they say yeah, can you put it on ice for us? What I do is I I don't bury it in the ice. I stick it on the top of the ice. There you and go. I just kind of <laughs> leave it there so it's it's maintaining temperature, but it's not getting any colder. Yeah, rosé personally cannot get cold enough for me. 
right? No, I yeah. just love my. Yeah, rose. you want to crush it. Yeah, I, <laughs> it needs to be frosty. <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc, I kind of get into that too with Sauvignon Blanc sometimes, sure. um, with the exception of. Uh, Sam did it. What was that? Two shows ago, we did a tasting of oh, Sauvignon man. Blancs. Um, Cayman, um, uh, Hamel, and the Stone Edge Farm. Yeah, we did Stone Edge Farm. Was beautiful. The Hamel but, Reserve um, and the Cayman. But that Hamel. Yeah, that's I what think, I knocked um, over. Yeah. Was the, the Hamel? The yeah, Hamel or the Cayman? Hamel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to knock over the Cayman. Man. Yeah, you know, I mean, no, just no, no, no. throw around a bottle of $70 yeah, no, Sauvignon no, no, Blanc. No, no, no. It's no big deal. It wasn't like the equipment was expensive. No. Well, not as expensive as Cayman Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> um, it's about ten bottles worth, you know. Ten bottles worth yeah, of uh, uh, podcasting equipment. That's here? it. That's it. All right, that's not I, even a full case. You're I fine. love Cayman wines. I was there yesterday before my daughter's first birthday just to get a splash <laughs> of everything, and I, I put them. Happy birthday! Yeah, happy birthday, Viv. Um, I put them. Sorry, Sam, and sorry, Bart. I put them at the top. They have the best wines I've had from Sonoma Valley. I say it's the one of the top four Cabernets in California. I mean, you know, and you you could argue about who else fits in there, but uh, and actually, the Cabernet is uh, that's not even my favorite Cayman wine. Uh, if you can find it, if you can track down a bottle of Cayman Syrah, right? Uh, it's they're pouring it now. Are they really? And the Grenache. And the Grenache, the wow. f- what, 14s? For me, anyway. Yeah. Um, right. the, the <laughs> You're right. They usually push me around, and they don't like me very much. I got kicked out after I asked to buy a bottle at discount. <laughs> I, w- I, will s- I was actually, just before we went hey, on, I, I, know was, Sam, I was talking to Robert uh, about an event we're doing tomorrow. He's actually out of Cabernet right now. He's out of his current release of Cabernet. He has, uh, the 2013 has been sold out since June. They're not ready to release the 14, so they're selling library. If you go into the Cayman Tasting Room, all you can get is is library cab. 11s, 8s, and then they're like a you know 125 a bottle, no discounts. Well, let me just get a shout out to anyone that wants a bottle of 2011. You can come to Sante. Oh, there you go. And I will sell it to you for $160. And so it's actually, it's worth it. And 2011 yeah. was bashed for Cabernet, and when you put as much care into a bottle of wine as they do and you guys do, the vintage will shine. Um, and the 2011 Cayman Cab I had yesterday, too, next yeah. to the 12 and the 13, they're all fantastic. Sam, did Phil start that vineyard? Uh, he, so Robert sold his first screenplay in, like, 1980. Somebody took him to the top. Uh, he came to Sonoma to visit a friend of his who was in real estate, and they went on a hike. They went to the top of the mountain where his vineyard is. There was no roads. There was nothing. They just wanted to go look at the view. And they ate some French, Sonoma French bread, and they smoked a joint. And at the end of it, Robert said, I want to do two things. I want to own this view, and I want to find the guy who rolled the jo- those, grew that weed and, and buy more of it. And uh, he bought the property and then found the guy who grew the weed. And my dad then convinced him to uh, that he could plant a vineyard there. There's a movie there. There is a there movie is. there. Will, will you play Phil if I can play Robert? <laughs> you're, you're too tall. <laughs> yeah. But Jeez, uh, <laughs> oh. um, man. I can, I can you say guys that. are brutal. He's, he's my uncle. I can say it. Brutal. Um, so yeah, no, he, my dad uh, from a giant brush, you know, brush field and grassy meadow uh, carved 
you know, truly one of the ah, great yes, vineyards the grassy in California. Meadow. Yes. <laughs> the grassy meadow. It was. Yes. It was a So you didn't have to break well, that one up. Well there were a few up. rocks there. What's that? You didn't have to break that one up. No. There was actually it was tillable at the time. N- no, it was slightly. it was it was all a big giant pile of rock and they took you know, with tractors uh and literally carved out carved out a vineyard. I mean if you go out and w- today walk in the middle of the Cayman Vineyard 35 years later uh it's still just a big pile of rocks and that's you know we we've grown cover crops there that are you know six feet high for the last 35 years and tilled it under and added compost and it's still just (laughs) it's still just a big pile of rock well which is why the wine is so great but yeah it's it's producing isn't it yeah that's not what, a lot. Not as much. Not as much as Robert would like. But, no, but it's uh, certainly it's, producing the dollar wise in quality. Yeah. No. Uh, Ninety nine point Robert Parker scores. You can't uh, argue with that. That you can't. Uh, you know. You can't it, fake that. Sam, That's what true. you have in your hand was t- just talking about Syrah got me thirsty for right. Syrah. So with that we, right, we had a, we had a Syrah from Napa. So pop that open. That smells good. Oh, this is the one that uh, somebody tried to sell you and you didn't open. <laughs> so somebody, yeah, let's put that out there. Someone. <laughs> Let's yeah. start talking about uh, wine buyers. <laughs> wine buyers. Yeah, just drop off a bottle at the restaurant. I'll uh, let yeah. you know how it is yeah. we'll, we'll a year and a half glass. later. Yeah. So this is the wholesale cost? This, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so well, this would be a $50 bottle of wine on the wine list. Okay. That's what's scary is, is the markup. It really is. I mean, if you... Well, you, I can tell you right now, the Frias family that is growing this in the Napa Valley at $15 a bottle is struggling to make ends meet. This is essentially what I would consider a marketing cost to get into a wine glass at Sante, which is considered to be one of the finest restaurants in California, so that that consumer of this glass of wine at Sante then seeks out Frias Family Vineyards and joins their mailing list, because this is extraordinary. And actually, it was from the girl in the fig. They dropped it off. Um, So it's been been a while. And and that was was the magic of that... um, of my wine cost there at the girl in the fig was never charge more for the wine. Just always pay less for the wine. <laughs> that was the trick. <laughs> I've, like, I've experienced yeah. that. Yeah. I've experienced yeah. That. You, what you want to do is, too. yeah, you just, you want to pay less so you can give it, give the people the, um, the wine for the same price that they're used to seeing it in other places, but just pay less for it. So then you get a, um, uh, make the boss happy. Sure. Yeah. Well, the, it's just a huge markup. I mean, well, it I, I don't doesn't know. always have to be huge. It depends. I mean, you balance everything out for 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 the higher end wines. Go to the you grocery don't mark store. Up as much. What are you you're looking at? Two to three percent at the grocery store? No, no uh, thirty three. Oh yeah. come on, no, it's a, it's no, not oh, yeah. thirty three. No, it's thirty three. Retail is thirty three and, and on wine. Okay, on, fine. On food. On, okay. on, on staple. I, I, I didn't realize this was a food uh, podcast. It is a food podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you go to Sonoma Markup, then they're working well, probably or, at 33%. Or, or, or whole, pay, whole paycheck. You know? That's I mean, probably it's, a 50% it's, markup it's, on their garden burgers. No, it's, seriously, it's not a high markup um, business. And you look at, all right, look at the new Tesla. $30,000. It can go to 40. Well, it gets to 50 real it can, quick. It can yeah. go to 50, right. You start adding stuff on. But still, the markup on that is not as much as, as it would be selling this bottle of wine in a nice restaurant. Yeah, but what at a restaurant, and I, you know, as somebody who has to sell wine to restaurants and then gets squeezed by that type of, you know, economics that Brian is talking about. 
Uh, you have to remember what the wine is doing is paying for those people's jobs because uh, in a restaurant that's where the the money is made is on on alcohol sales and and you know you go to a that's restaurant true. like you know like Sante like the girl in the fig there's 50 people between the front of the house and back of the house with the dishwashers the people upstairs counting the numbers and then and you got to factor in the distributor and the guy that sold you the right. wine and everyone's taking yeah. a little everybody shave gets off of a it. little bit right well and then the other thing is this $15 price is probably the price they were offering it for buy the glass program and you know we have a certain percentage of wines that we sell that we earmark for buy the glass to try to introduce our wine to people who have never heard of us before right, right. we don't have big marketing programs or multinational companies um, promoting our wines we have to do it ourselves and one way is that you reduce the price for really good accounts to get on the buy the glass and then like they said someone will go home and go hey wait a minute Let's buy it from the producer directly, and then that's where we average yeah, you've got cost my, average. You've got my wife on your marketing team, and then Jeez. you get and then <laughs> then you get all of the margin, Correct. and and that is where a that's producer want to go. That's yeah. where a producer of you know Dane and sixteen six hundred make their bread and butter. They're they're getting yeah, direct I mean, to consumer, and you want you want to hit that hundred percent. I I don't think you'll ever hit a hundred percent. Out of your store. I mean, no, I, and I don't ever intend to because I, I want to get you know a certain amount of wine in front of as many people as possible, you know, um, and that's the right. idea behind a tasting room. Well, how, or how do you wine set by the that glass. model up? Let's talk about that. I My mean, goal is seventy percent, seventy percent out of house, out of uh, out of the tasting house. That's 30. changed in the last couple of months. I thought I you were. I thought you were at sixty forty or eighty. No, that's, that's my, my goal. I'm 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 at about sixty forty right now. Okay, I'd like to be at seventy thirty, and if I could get to eighty twenty, I'd be really happy. But right. and that's that's meaning a percentage that I sell out of the tasting room and to the subscription or you know online buyers. The tasting room that'd be winery sixteen six hundred yes, in Sonoma, the, California. The tasting house at five eight nine. Shout out to West. Taiwan. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, Taiwan and where else? Uh, uh, Shanghai, Shanghai, and uh, Shanghai. Uh, somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> we got some other ones. Um, and then that thirty percent that I put into the market, um, you know, quote, what put into the market, do it wholesale. You know, I'm stoked uh, that so far I've been able to, you know, sell that wine for a little bit more than it costs to make it. And if you could do that with thirty percent of your wholesale, and and that helps drive people to the tasting room and to the website to buy wine, then, um, you know, those slim margins make up for it. Otherwise, I, you know, and parts just like it. And really, frankly, most of the wineries that um, we work with and are places where they don't make enough to actually make money at slim margins. You just want to cover your costs at those slim margins and then turn around and make up that cost on, on full price wine. So you would essentially consider your wholesale distribution as an advertising marketing. And, and a reason to go to New York and eat at fancy restaurants. <laughs> sure. Uh, no, I mean, it's, um, it's brand building and it's, you know, the thing that uh, we're getting like deep into the, you know, pulling behind the curtain, the, the thing that um, those wholesale accounts guarantee is cash flow. Because that's the biggest problem that a, that a winery has is you have these times of years when when costs are high 
and and income is low. The middle of summer is a, a great example. I'm not shipping wine anywhere. I, I'm not, you know, there's not a, it, it's July and as much as, you know, it's the middle of summer, it's actually not the, the busiest season for tasting rooms, but I just spent $30,000 to bottle my, just bottling costs for my, for my 2015s. So those, Checks that I'm getting regularly from restaurants and from the distributor are, are what pay allow for that, huh? pay for those, yeah. you know, kind of allow to <laughs> pay those costs when and sales at the, are slow. And at the same time, you have the grapes that are coming in that you have to pay for after harvest. Right. And so you have that hanging over your head because, you know, you can't spend everything. You got to save some to pay for grapes. Hence the old adage, how to make a million dollars in in the wine business, start with two million, and then you I probably want to start with ten. Ten. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you want to buy a vineyard and hire yeah. my dad and plant the vineyard right. and then hire Kyle to sell your wine, you probably start with fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, that's okay. You know, Brian, you you and I are on the right side of it. You know, I mean, we're the we're, drinking we're, side. Yeah, we're right. having we're on, we're on the fun side of it. We have we have no risk. What's a, what's the risk of me buying? Uh, you know, what's the the worst that can happen? Right, a bad bottle once in a while. Once in a while I get a bad bottle, right? That I don't like, and then we can mouth off to these guys about how yeah. we got a bad bottle. Yeah, there's no such thing as a bad bottle; just a bad buyer. <laughs> <laughs> bad, bad. Hey, don't talk about bad tasting though. So I, I will say that uh, this last one was pretty good. Now. This was pretty good, and yeah. I think Sam was right, or I don't know who, if it was Sam or Bart that said this. This pricing was. Specifically for the restaurant Kyle, to to do BTG was that um, so okay that, that might be a sixty dollar bottle on the wine list but um, yeah that's that's good that's good stuff so when you were at Girl and the Fig their wine list is so is exclusively Rhone focused and, and just won the uh, best wine list in Sonoma County and once again two years in a row yeah. Sante second honorable mention Rhone alone yeah. well I you know I, the the three workhorse varietals that I work with, direct-to-consumer, Cabernet, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, right. repeat. Right. And with these obscure varietals, you get so much pleasure from them, and you get so much nuance, and I feel like it takes uh, a, a real leap of faith in the consumer to be experimental with Right. Things that they can't pronounce and do not know anything about. And, you know, Syrah is, is a tough sell. There, there's an old yeah. saying, the only thing that's different between Syrah and syphilis is you can actually get rid of <laughs> syphilis. Right. But God. the best wines I have ever had in my life yeah. historically have Syrah in them. Well, that was the greatest thing about the girl in the fig is they're not offering you an option. Like at Sante right now, it's it's yeah. been a transition for me because you got sure. people coming in. They're looking for Chard, Pinot, and Cab. Exactly right. Uh, but at the Girl in the Fig, great, you were, yeah. there was no option. You are drinking Syrah, Mavedra, Grenache. Um, you are drinking Marsan or the, the white Rhone varietals, especially for me personally, the ones from the Rhone Valley, mm. are bring as much pleasure as... Grand Cru White Burgundy. Yeah, well, I'm a white Chateauneuf guy. Um, Domaine Saint Prefer every year comes out with their 100% Claret. They do only Magnums. It's they probably do like I don't know six cases of Magnums. They're 150 a pop. I just saw the notice for them, um, so I'm trying to get Mark to saw them at um, Sante to pick up a couple bottles for us. I'll come buy um, one. We'll come. We'll come. We'll come oh, over party and man. buy one of those bottles. And but you know, there's there's certain people. Once once you get people turned on, I know Bart works for the Lassiters, and and they have sort of got turned on to Grenache. Um, she was just in the other night for dinner, and specifically, what does she want? She's not looking at cab. She wants, 
she was either looking at Sam's uh, Grenache, which I was telling her about. Oakville. And then she was looking what at the, um, the Vu Telegraph, uh, the Chateauneuf. We have a 2009. Damn, I, I like when I'm in that conversation. Right. It was between <laughs> those two wines. It was the Vu Telegraph, the 09, or it was between yours. And so it's, you I, know, I pick the Vu Telegraph every well, time. She went, for, she went for the Vu, actually. <laughs> I wouldn't blame her. I don't blame her. That's an um, okay wine. But, but, you know, once you turn people onto it and they go, it's just like Cabernet. Once they, they go, oh, I know Cabernet. Oh, I know Grenache or I know Syrah. But man, you turn them around, then then they're yours for life. Yeah, and I think that um, the wine consumer, at least with my age group, you know, mid thirties, is becoming much more accepting of stuff they have no idea what. Uh, it do you is. call yourself a millennial? Well, I do know everything, so that's a smart ass millennial. Yeah. What I what I do know is that I don't know at all remotely the surface of the wine world. Well, they and say that millennials to, are, are, are changing the way we drink and what's being sold and everything and, else. And I, I think mean, that we're willing, and, yeah, we're willing to take a leap of faith with a recommendation that, uh, unfortunately, the older generation stuck in their ways. They get... You know, farts like yeah, me. Man. They get stuck on an idea Grenache and then all of a sudden someone tells them they Cam. hate Merlot and guess what? Sure. They'll never drink it again. But... Syrah, Merlot, all of these grapes that have been bastardized for no real good reason. Oh, no, I'll drink them all. Well, that's okay. And yeah. I mean, I've got an uh, open palate. That's important. Well, it, anyway. it was I, Brian, I will say, Brian and, and Sam and Bart who did it. I mean, Bart, you're, you're my cap. I mean, Joan just, you know, she wrote you a note. I know she did. It was really sweet. She's just like, hey, I thought I did something wrong. Was this before you knew John or was this, re- oh, this recently? <laughs> Just you recently. got a note from the office, yeah. From principal, and um, <laughs> but this is a this is this is what it took though is three guys that are in the industry yeah. having personal contact with you to kind yeah. of change your ways. We're talking about just casual drinkers that sure. that you know you get you throw a wine list in front of them and then what are they gonna they're gonna gravitate towards something that they're familiar with. So it's just a matter of. of you know, experiencing new things, and I and I and I think um, the millennials are going to change. They're going to drink Tempranillo. They're going to drink wines from Spain, from France, from Lebanon, from South Africa. Um, and if you put something in front of them that's a good price well, and good quality, have, they're going to drink it. If I have you a have bottle from Lebanon. Ian, I'm going to bring it for the next one. I have one I would Chateau love that. I'm sure it's delicious. If it's, you had it's Ian around, it smells of gunpowder. Mm. <laughs> 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 I don't know. <laughs> Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to The Winemakers. Uh, I'm John Myers. Uh, we've had Brian Casey, Bart Hansen, Kyle Harristy, and Sam Katuri. So we'll talk to you next week, guys. Thanks a lot Cheers. for listening. Thanks, the preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you.